The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast. My name is Sai, and joining me as always here on the SJP World Media Network as we play through the positives and negatives, the high points and the low points of this crazy wrestling company, WCW, is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really well, thank you, mate. How's yourself? Not too shabby, mate. Not too shabby. Just a quick uh, bit of info for anyone listening. I am recording this episode of Nitro Nights in a slightly different location to normal. My setup is a quite a bit different to normal for various reasons. So if the sound quality is a bit off or it's not uh, not quite as you know normal or decent as it normally is, I apologise. But I, I think we're going to be okay, my friend. Yeah, it sounds like it, mate. Good stuff. On today's episode of Nitro Nights, we are looking at the 17th of June 1996 edition of Monday Nitro. Uh, this show is the, the the first episode of Nitro that occurred after the Great American Bash that we we covered last week for the show. And we're getting the fallout here of the pay-per-view and all the uh, shenanigans from the Outsiders as they powerbombed Eric Bischoff through the stage. This episode of Nitro received a 3.4 in the TV ratings, which is quite a substantial number considering what we have been looking at. Raw, incidentally, on the same night, received a 2.3. So quite a big win for Nitro here. And it also, Danny, starts the run of Nitro winning on the Monday night war, the TV ratings war for the next 83 weeks. Ah, so it started here. It did indeed. My friend, it did indeed. This starts nitros big run of, uh, well, ratings, success, financial success, and I think creative success as well. We're really getting into the, the sort of the meat and, uh, the excellence of it as well, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising coming off that amazing pay-per-view and then uh, just the weeks leading up to it. Yeah, it's really, really been cool. Yeah, and, and they got a lot going on as well, haven't they? You've got... Yeah. You've obviously got the stuff with Nash and Hall arriving, 
but you've also got the giant as your champion dominating everyone. I think he's being booked brilliantly well at the moment. This is how the giant should be booked, and and I think how he should have been booked when he went into the WWF in later years as well. I think yeah. you've got a thriving tag division. You've also got the cruiserweights starting to really find their stride here, uh, and a lot of recognisable names you know, Flair and the Horseman and all this sort of stuff. And incidentally, they're doing all this over the last month or so without Hulk Hogan. Yeah, that's the big uh, factor. I thought it was because um, Larry Sabisco had been put on commentary, but um, <laughs> Hulk Hogan <laughs> not being here. Yes, wow. It just goes to show you, doesn't it? Well, yes. Yeah, I mean, Zabisco, obviously the living legend, he is a draw on some level, I suppose. But (laughs) (laughs) I think you're being very kind, Danny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Incidentally, the 17th of June, 1996 edition of Monday Nitro, uh, sorry, of Monday Night Raw on the other station, we had some more King of the Ring uh, quarterfinal matches or qualifier matches building up to the pay-per-view, which I believe followed next Sunday. Uh, We had Steve Austin beating Savio Vega. Uh, that was also the match, by the way, that was the had the debut of the Stone Cold Stunner in it. Um, Mark Miro defeated Owen Hart. Hunter Hurst Helmsley um, had a bit of a scrap, which went to a no contest with Aldo Montoya. And in the main event, Jake Roberts defeated Goldust by disqualification. So, yeah, again, it's not... You look at what we're seeing on Nitro in comparison to the likes of Aldo Montoya... Jake Roberts in 96 uh, and the ultimate warrior is getting mentioned a lot and so on, on, on raw. It's a totally different kettle of fish, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, I mean, that does sound uh, rough. I mean, Jake Roberts versus Goldust. It just, yeah, it just Mm. doesn't. Yeah. uh, One moment that is obviously quite historic besides the, uh, the debut of the Stone Cold Stunner on that episode of Raw. Uh, we have Brian Pillman signing his WWF contract. So they obviously saw this as quite a big coup. They saw this as quite a big deal to actually have the guy signing his contract broadcast upon Raw. So that's quite a big deal for them. But uh, we're not here to talk about Raw. We're here to talk about the show that won the ratings war that night. The episode of Nitro, Danny, as always. Yep, we are, mate. And we had a really another good episode this week. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think the company's really rolling here. I mean, it's, it's just I'm looking forward to pressing play on the next episode as soon as I finish that episode. I can't wait to go into the next the next show. Yeah. I mean, here we have a slight change, however. Tony Schiavone is obviously opening the show on commentary uh, alongside Larry Zabisco. And normally Tony and Larry would do the opening hour. And then we'd have the you know the quite dramatic countdown, all the pyro and so on before hour two when Bobby Heenan and Eric Bischoff would take over. Tony here is saying right at the right at the top of the show, right at the start, he is going to be covering the whole two hours because Eric Bischoff is still in hospital after the attack that happened at the Great American Bash, and this follows a Great American Bash recap as uh, we get sort of still images showing moments from all the matches throughout the evening, uh, the previous evening. Sorry. Because all the way through the, this episode of Nitro, they're quite heavily trying to push the um, the, the sort of rerun or, or the, the repeat encore presentation of the pay-per-view, which is broadcast on the Tuesday night. Because this is obviously before you know things like Fight and the WWE Network, and even pay-per-view as we know it now, when you, when you sort of book something here in the UK via Virgin Media, Cable, BT, Sky, whatever it may well be, and you've got 
a certain number of replays or um, it's on demand for a certain amount of time. Back in these days, Danny, it was if you missed the pay-per-view, you might get an encore presentation on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. If you missed it then, you had to wait a few months for the for the video to come out. Oh, that's rough. I mean, <laughs> that that does sound rough. But it, you're totally right. They do really, really push it on this episode because they're really trying to make more money out of it. Yeah. Yeah, they used to do okay in that secondary market as well uh, with regards to the, the on-call presentation. Tuesday nights were... Uh, Normally, when these things would air, these encore shows, uh, the WWF used to do similar things as well. And, and they would make um, a decent amount of money. I, I remember, I can't remember who it was, but somebody talking about the WWF's encore presentations of certain pay-per-views. And they would make, it, w- when the business was hot anyway, they would make a third again of what they made on the night with regards to pay-per-view buy rates. Now, considering it's something that's already a few days old, They've already had a TV show in the meantime, and everyone's probably aware of the results, unless they're desperately trying to avoid it until they can watch the encore presentation. A, a third of pay-per-view buy rates on top for something they've already made, already produced, or already paid for, is 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 quite a decent chunk of money going straight into the bank. I think it really is, mate. I mean, that's just shocking. A third. Wow. Again, it was. This was. I can't remember who said this. It may have been Pritchard. I, I, I Bruce Pritchard. I, I'm not sure, but it was somebody from the WWF side said this and we're talking a little while after this when the company was red hot so it wouldn't have been at this time I don't think but yeah, yeah that, they, they mentioned there was an occasion where they were making a third again so yeah I think that's quite substantial for you quid that is mate yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> uh, our opening match is I suppose harking back to a previous contest we have seen uh, in, in previous weeks or, or previous shows we saw Booker T from Harlem Heat take on Scott Steiner of the Steiner Brothers here we get the other half of that potential duo we have Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat taking on Rick Steiner now I don't think this was great Danny I'm not going to lie it seemed a little bit <sighs> I think you could tell if you put it in direct comparison that these two are the weaker links in their respective tag teams. What did you think about this opener in general? Yeah, you're totally right, mate. You would class these as the Marty Genetis of the tag teams. <laughs> no disrespect <laughs> Genetti, but um, oh no, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely disrespect to Marty Genetti. Fuck that guy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just remembered his online activities. <laughs> yeah. But, no, um, this yeah, it was very very slow. Um, I'm glad they saved this to for after the pay per view rather than um, that amazing nitro we saw last week. Uh, yeah, this this just didn't match up to it. I mean, there was um there was a lot of good clotheslines thrown and kicks and things like that, but nothing really to write home about, was there? Not really. No. I mean. Stevie Ray is very much a big, powerful guy. And I think that that is... I was supposed to to sing his praises here. He's aware, I think, that that is his strong point. He's not going to be, you know, putting on a Dean Malenko-esque Matt Classic. He's not capable of flying around the ring, potentially like his brother is. His brother seems to be a little bit more athletic than he. So I think Stevie Ray is aware of his limitations. Yeah. And he wrestles within those within those limitations. The issue I've got as well is though that, that Rick Steiner, I, I don't get me wrong, I like Rick Steiner. 
and what Rick Steiner does is fantastic. But Steiner is definitely a tag wrestler to me. Steiner yeah. as a, whenever I've seen Steiner as a singles wrestler, and we're going to see it in the future years here as well. It, he's good at a lot of things without being brilliant at anything. So I think sometimes when you when you have too long in the ring as a singles competitor without anything really to hang your hat upon, just being you know fairly good at a lot of things, it gets stale quite quickly for me yeah and i think this got stale quite quickly purely because stevie ray didn't have much to offer from his end of, of, of the of the match yeah that makes sense mate. i mean the good thing is it just went shy over three minutes so we didn't have to sit, see it for long but we did um we got quite a lot of aftermath didn't we well we did yes i mean if it went just over three minutes then i'll be honest that surprises me that it was actually that long because i look at my notes for the match and i've maybe got two or three lines there's not anything <laughs> of real substance there i mean we've got a um a power slam by stevie ray which looked quite spectacular because you know rick steiner is not a small guy uh there's a belly to belly overhead suplex by rick steiner because they love their suplexes those steiner boys yeah um <laughs> there's a belly to belly overhead where he damn near kills stevie ray and just drops him straight on his head which you know looked nasty um stevie ray misses some kind of jumping flying forearm effort before he's hit with a steiner line for rick steiner to win the match booker t then runs in attacks and they both attack rick steiner the huge pop for Scott Steiner when he comes out to make the save. This guy is over. The, the, the crowd loves Scott Steiner, don't they? Yeah, that was amazing when he came out. Is that they're really, really going all in with Scott Steiner? The crowd are really warming up to him, and um, then we learn that he's going to be in the main event tonight as well. So that was pretty cool to hear. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Scott Steiner is going to be facing the giant for the world title in the main event. So that's going to be, you know, I, I, I again, I've said it quite a few times on Nitro Nights. I, I'm a big, big fan of Scott Steiner in pretty much all of his guises. Even even the WWF run he had, it ended crap. But the first couple of months, or the first couple of weeks at least, when he was just turning up, at, he turned up a Survivor Series and suplexed the crap out of everybody. Yeah. They had the, the arm wrestling contest with Triple H, the press-ups contest with Triple H, the, the, the posing contest with Triple H. All of that I thought was brilliant television. It's just a shame that when the bell rang uh, and we saw... Scott Steiner in the ring. I don't think he was helped by his opponent. I mean, Triple H didn't really wrestle to Steiner's strengths, but it was obvious injuries that took its toll. He wasn't in the best condition. He was a bit broken down, but there was still enough there before the matches began for me to get enjoyment out of what Steiner was doing. Here, here Steiner is, to me, as athletic as I think we're going to get him. He, He... we obviously know he's, you know, uh, becomes the big Papa Pump character um, in later years, and uh, he, you know, he's on the top of the card when the company is is going under in two thousand and one. So there's a lot we're going to see of Scott Steiner, but here I think we've got babyface Scott Steiner as as big and muscly as he is because he's getting bigger every week it seems, but also he's incredibly athletic with that. And I just think here he's—it's a real shame. I don't—it's a real shame they didn't just pull the trigger on him and give him a singles run, or may, maybe they wanted to, and he declined it because that happened when when there was talks of him going to the WWF as well, Danny. Yeah, I mean, there's—it uh, always when I see Scott Steiner like this, it always reminds me years ago. I remember get, watching a DVD of Scott Steiner versus Ric Flair from I think 1991 or 1990, and, and Clash of the Champions, yeah, yeah. six, I think, or something like that. 
Yeah, and it was amazing. And I was like, Scott Steiner always could have been a singles wrestler. If if you even go back to the 80s, like 1987, when he was first starting out, it was like he was doing all these flips and things like that. I think, yeah, I think you're, you're right about that. And maybe he declined because he wanted it out of loyalty to his brother, but he's definitely always could have been a single wrestler. And I'm loving this push that he's getting right now. It's a funny one for me because... Uh, it, it, you know, obviously, first of all, I know some people are, are tuning into our show to hear us talk about this episode of Nitro, but I do enjoy going out into the weeds sometimes and having these sort of like little diversions about different topics. I, I think it, I think it's very interesting hearing your viewpoints. But with with Steiner, it's almost like the one thing he was missing in this era was the mic skills. Mm. But yeah, he was still hugely, hugely popular. Um, I, I made an error as well just a moment ago. It was actually Clash of the Champions 14 where uh, Steiner faced Ric Flair in the main event. And that match has a bit of history about it as well. We covered it a while back for chain wrestling, I believe. And Steiner, Steiner thinks that Flair, basically sandbagged him in this match, Flair wouldn't bump around the place i mean when steiner's on top and he's throwing those suplexes he looks incredible yeah steiner is still to this day says that flair sandbagged him um wouldn't allow steiner to do certain moves that you know get the reaction from the crowd that we're seeing here and he still holds as far as i know to this day he still holds resentment about it it's right in the later days of wcw we we see Scott Steiner running his mouth about Ric Flair a lot and some of it goes a little bit off script it's going to be very interesting when we get to that stage but yeah that match he Steiner was very very unhappy with and you go back and watch it I mean go, going back quite a way now I, I wrote an article about Scott Steiner's career and I, I did a bit of, quite a bit of research into it because it's a long career with various different you know, characters and, and story arcs and so on this bit fascinated me being a big Ric Flair fan. So I looked into a lot of interviews and a lot of, um, a lot of background about this match. And there's quite a few other people who have rewatched the match and said, it does look like Flair. I mean, people who are far more clued up than I don't get me wrong, that Flair is not cooperating as much as he should. And every time Steiner started gaining momentum and the, the crowd were getting into it, Flair would roll out the ring to break the momentum down and slow it all down again. But it, I think it's something that people have to form their own opinions of. I watched it back for the purpose of this this article I wrote, and I think for chain wrestling as well. I'll have to go back and check that. But I watched it back for those, and I can see where Scott Steiner is coming from. But at the same time, it, it could be argued that that was not Flair's intention. It's, mm. it's, I suppose it's something that we're never really going to know the correct answer to because there's only one guy in reality who who genuinely knows, and that's Ric Flair. And you know we don't always take what he says uh, as gospel truth, do we? Let's be honest. No. So <laughs> I think it's something that people will have to go back and have a little look at themselves and make a decision upon, and then read the interviews and have a little look into it themselves to, to decide. But yeah, it's uh, it's one of those moments in wrestling where. Uh, the, the the guy on top is being accused of doing certain things to make sure that he stays on top. Yeah, I totally understand. It's it's sort of like where Triple H would uh, face the same criticism like ten years later. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. Uh, the 
the aftermath of this obviously is is Harlem Heat beating up the Steiners, and Scott Steiner is is given a bit of a pasting, and then of course there's doubt thrown in to whether Scott Steiner will be able to work the main event against the Giant, but we will come to that shortly. Following this, we have Disco Inferno making his entrance. He says on the microphone, everyone's there to see him dance. Do you want to see me dance? Everyone boos and says no. He goes to do it anyway, but his music does not play. Joe Gomez's music plays. Now, Joe Gomez is a guy who at this stage had been wrestling for a fair few years. He'd had some time out in Japan. He'd wrestled for the WWF for a very short period. He'd worked for WCW or the NWA. Uh, way back when, in, in the sort of early 90s, I guess, late 80s, early 90s sort of time frame. Uh, but here is his Nitro debut in ring. Um, he was supposed to make it on the previous episode of Nitro, I think, Danny, wasn't he? Yeah, and you know what? That just put this match down for me because why isn't Joe Gomez gone after Ric Flair and Arn Anderson after last week? Do you know what? That didn't even enter my mind, but you are 100% correct. It's like, Why, where's yeah. the renegade, first of all? <laughs> exactly. Why isn't John Gomez angry or even kind of a little promo or something? Give him something. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, I, I suppose you could write the renegade off as being maybe he's still injured after the attack that Flair and Arn put on yeah. him uh, last week on Nitro. But yeah, Gomez, you should have at least said something about this. It makes him look a bit yeah. of a chicken shit, doesn't it? It does, mate. I mean, the thing is, like, we're not going to see Joe Gomez automatically get into a program with Ric Flair or anything like that. But I think he could have at least sold the injury a little bit or or just done a backstage interview or something. Or just, yeah, it's just a shame. But yeah, he did um, have a good match with Disco Inferno here. Now, I, I don't know if this is something that's going to come back up, mind, because yeah. I am a, I don't know the time frame, but I am aware of a match that happens on Nitro. I don't know if it's in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, in a year's time, whatever. But it does involve the Horseman, and it involves Joe Gomez, the Renegade, and two others in the sort of like a, an eight-man tag. So I don't know if that kind of plays into what happened here. If they if it doesn't, maybe I think they've missed a trick. But yeah, at, at this time he's on television and isn't immediately responding to these attacks. Yeah, it it does seem a bit strange, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, that's that's the first thing that stood out to me. It was like, okay, why is he here? I thought he would have taken at least two weeks off. But yeah, it was quite shocking. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think of it until you pointed it out. But you're spot on. Um, Disco Inferno. I, I, I want your opinion now because we're seeing more and more of Disco. He's obviously a comedy character. Um, here he's on Nitro again, and we know he's going to be sticking around for a very long time. He's going to basically still be with the company uh, when, when it goes under in 2001. He's there pretty much for the whole run of Monday Nitro. So what are your thoughts at the moment on Disco Inferno? Obviously, everyone's aware of him of his conduct on 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 Twitter and certain podcasts he's on, and he talks about nonsense and so on. But I'm talking more so here and now because we're getting a lot more context to the clips or the gifts that we see because you're seeing the weekly television, Danny. Yeah, um, it's so far I've enjoyed what I've seen, but for the last three, I'd say three or four weeks, he's really been ramping up the character work, 
whether um, and has helped him because even though he's not bothered about losing matches or anything like that, or just walking out of matches, it helps him because it's like you're building a character. So fans are going to get used to seeing this guy Inferno like this rather than someone who's just trying to win matches. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit because I think Disco now is a bit of a knob. Yeah. But back here, I'm finding him so entertaining. <laughs> you can say that about a lot of people in, in WCW at this time. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, the fact that he's so obsessed with his hair not being made a mess and the fact that he gave up on a, on a nitro before submission hold was even applied so that it didn't hurt his arms so he could still dance. It's just, it, it, it's so ridiculous. But it's, it's so ridiculous that it becomes funny. If it was if it was ridiculous but not quite as ridiculous, it would just be shit to me. But it's yeah. so ridiculous, it crosses over into the the sort of threshold of being just brilliantly daft. And the guy I think can actually can actually work in the ring as well. I don't think this match is too bad. No, no, and his I think his biggest strong point is his selling ability. To me, it's like he can really, really make you feel uh, like he's in pain. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, initially, we get Joe Gomez missing a crossbody into the ropes. That sort of allows Disco to take control for a while. Um, the finish, again, I, I think shows the whole Disco character in a nutshell at the moment. Uh, Bobby Heenan, sorry, Bobby Heenan. Larry Zavisco on commentary describes him as being not fully focused on what he should be doing yet as a wrestler, as, a, as an in-ring talent. And he, it's a net breaker. But then rather than make the cover when it looks like Gomez is out for the count, Disco has a bit of a dance again, which is, you know, very fitting with his character. Uh, He then goes and makes a very lazy cover, lying his shoulders across Joe Gomez's body. And Gomez turns it into almost like a crucifix, I suppose, Danny, doesn't he? Yeah, that's the um, that's a weird pin, but yeah, he turns it over and gets the pin. And Disco Inferno is not a, not actually bothered, is he? He's just like, no. oh well, I might have lost, but my hair's still intact. So <laughs> he cracks me up. Honestly, it's just so stupid. But it, it, at the moment, it's cracking me. I don't know if it's going to get tired very quickly. I don't know if I'm going to get fed up of it because it's the same thing every week. I don't know. But at the moment, he's making me laugh. Yeah, and the good thing is Larry Spisco is on commentary um, just showing his disdain against Disco as well, so that always helps as well. Yeah. I mean, Zabisco, we haven't really spoken much about. He's only been on, what have we had now, Danny? Two episodes of Nitro? Yeah, about that, yeah. What What are your thoughts then on, on Zabisco coming in on commentary for the first hour with Tony Schiavone? I think I mentioned this before. I'm not sure if it was on this show, but um, Chris Jericho wrote... Uh, his first in his first book he wrote Larry Sabisco is the worst commentator in the history of wrestling but I would argue that Larry Sabisco here is far better than uh, Chris Jericho's efforts on AEW uh, currently <laughs> I I like Larry Sabisco on commentary I think he's really really cool um, he's uh, he's not really a heel is he? he's more of a face here yeah it, it's a funny one because I think we're going to find this as well going forward. Uh, and again, it's something that I think we can touch upon when we do like our NWO special in a week or two. Uh, but we're going, to, we're going to touch upon it a great deal, I think, going forward. Yeah. There are people who are heels in this wrestling company. Uh, for example, the commentators will use Zabisco and Heenan as examples. They're heels. I mean, Heenan's aligned himself with Flair on the last pay-per-view and he is, he is the bad guy. 
Now, the issue I think that we have with the outsiders coming in, and we can see it already, even in this really early stage before it's become the NWO or anything like that, we've got the issue of these people are invading the company. So even the heels are uniting against them. So yeah. it becomes difficult for the heels in WCW before National Hall arrived to be proper heels because they're fighting on the side of good in a way, or the way the company is trying to promote this, they're fighting on the side of good, defending WCW. I mean, the giant is, is talking about defending WCW when he's the, the, the big nasty bad guy at the top of the card. You know, it's, and I think with Sabisco on commentary, we get a lot of that. He's very vocal against Horn and Nash. He's incredibly vocal against this, this supposed invasion and what they've done to Bischoff especially. But when he does that, he's not really providing the character or, or fulfilling the role of heel color commentator. And I think this is something that we're going to see a lot of over the next well, few weeks going into probably the next sort of best part of a year with heels in WCW struggling to find their feet, whether it's commentators, wrestlers, managers, whatever, because they're not, even though they're the bad guys, they're not on the side of bad in the way the company is trying to write the story. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see that. So I also find quite interesting as well. Uh, we get talk of Tony, Tony Schiavone talking on commentary here, and he's trying to sell the fact that everybody wants to be involved at Bash at the Beach. There's this this draw coming up. There's this decision's going to be made, and we're going to have an announcement later in the show where Hall and Nash are. You know, they they obviously want their three versus three match at Bash at the Beach for their for their invasion, and they want to know who. The, the three guys representing WCW are going to be. We're told that they've decided this by taking the six top stars in WCW, decided upon by, by the format of their win-loss record, which I think makes a lot of sense, to be fair. And then they're going to do a random draw for the, out of those six for the three that are going to represent them. That represent WCW, sorry. During the commentary of this match, we're told that there are people from New Japan Pro Wrestling and Hulk Hogan himself wants in on this. Wow. Yeah, he phoned in, didn't he? Mm. Yes, he did indeed. He wants part of this. So, yeah, again, I think it's just it's a running theme throughout the show because they keep saying, like, the Giant wants to be involved. The Steiners have put their names forward. Rick, um, Rick Flair, uh, Rey Mysterio, they've all put their names forward. As, as wanting to take part in the Bash at the Beach match. And again, it sort of shows that united front of WCW trying to fight off this invasion, which is brilliant for that storyline. Yeah. And but what maybe does... it affects the other storylines. Sorry, Danny. No, no, I was just going to say, what does Rey Mysterio have? He's only been in the company a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he he was really... He's, well, I suppose he's looked at what happened to Bischoff and he thinks, shit, that guy signs my checks. <laughs> that's the guy who pays me <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but you're totally right mate it, it just like the lines are very very much blurred and to be honest in a good way because it's like it's really making the threat of the outsiders as we as they're first ever called on this show as well um mm. it's making them seem more legit if like the whole company's standing up for themselves especially what's happened to their lead figurehead yeah yeah, very much so. Uh, 
speaking of a united front then i guess or, or coming together as a team um we have the four horsemen next up who are basically now in full number with the recruitment of Mongo Michael on the previous night's pay-per-view. We have R. Anderson here tagging with Chris Benoit, and they're taking on the American males, who I, I'm kind of done with now, Danny, to be honest. I don't think they fit in with 96 anymore here. I think the company is doing things that I'm really enjoying. Uh, I just look at the American males, and I'm just like, yeah, it's not quite working. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. I mean, they do have that Saturday night aura about them, don't they? <laughs> yes. Yes, they do indeed. Um, and I think it's quite interesting as well, listening to the crowd reactions for this match, because throughout the contest, the tags are made back and forth, and we get both teams getting effectively the hot tag at one point or another. And we have, I suppose, positive reactions for the horsemen, but positive reactions very much from the guys in the audience. Whereas the American males, the voices reacting in a positive way, to the tags and the moves they're putting off are very much um, of, of, a, of a higher pitch. It's a lot of children and a lot of, a lot of ladies. So I think it shows where their fan base is based, Danny. Yeah, it really does, mate. And I love the fact that um, the crowd definitely woke up, you could say, when uh, Arn Anderson was tagged in. So they really, really enjoyed the four horsemen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're so over here. The horsemen are so over. It's, in, it's insane. Um the American males start quite quickly on Arn and then Benoit and then Arn again, back and forth, lots of drop kicks and, and so on. And, and th- they, you know, they're good enough in the ring. They're, as a tag team, they, they're pretty exciting. They're quick. They got, a, I don't like the way they're dressed and the whole American males gimmick and the music and all that sort of nonsense, but th- they've got a good look themselves. You know, they're, they're put together and so on. They're both two very good looking fellas. It just doesn't quite, work for me this gimmick but either way they're 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 throwing drop kicks and everything it's very very fast action all mainly on on anderson uh benoit eventually tags in and he goes back and forth with marcus bagwell for a while um bagwell does actually hit the fisherman suplex on our anderson at one point before uh before his partner benoit breaks that up benoit then takes control for a little bit himself hits that crazy looking top rope headbutt uh, you could this was you had a particular close up of this as he came off the top rope and landed on his opponent, and you could yes. see why there's so many people who use this move, whether it's Harley Race, right through Benoit, Dynamite Kid, whatever. So many of them end up with concussion or or neck issues, Danny. Yeah, I mean that did look brutal. Um, Chris Benoit did that. I mean he'd be doing that for eleven years after this, like almost nightly. So mm. it's just crazy how. I mean you wonder why he had a broken neck, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it, the, the, this particular close-up you could see. Oh yeah, you can understand why this would have yeah. caused certain problems. Uh, eventually, Benoit suplexes. Um, I, I think is is it Riggs? They he suplexes yeah. onto the ropes. Yeah. Yeah, and rolls him up. Arn Anderson just basically is trying to help with the pin, but he only effectively just grabs the guy's toe, I think, and, um, <laughs> and sort of holds holds his foot uh, for the horsemen to cheat their way to victory. Which, of course, if the horsemen are winning, they should be cheating to do it. And you know, I, I quite enjoyed this. I thought this was a good match. 
you said it perfectly there, mate. If the horsemen are winning, they should be cheating. That's exactly what I thought as well. It was like, okay, Benoit could have got that pin anyway. But um, the fact that Arn Anderson was standing there and just grabbed his toe and was like, okay, you're, che- you're um, cheating to get an advantage. Also, did you see Chris Benoit's face? Yeah, I think that was makeup. Ah, yeah, that would make sense, actually, because I was like, I don't remember, unless the door from uh, the Great American Bash, the men's toilet, Mm. caught him in the face, that was very, very horror movie-esque. I think think it's, what is it, 24 hours removed, isn't it, from the pay-per-view? And we have Ben, uh, Benoit marked up. I'm not saying that he wasn't marked up at all, of course not. But you have Benoit marked up, and then you have a look at Kevin Sullivan later in the show, and he's quite heavily marked up as well. Mm. The big thing for me, when you when you really watch the bruising around their eyes and so on, as they're talking, there's no there's no reaction to it, and you could see like the the sort of um, I don't know what you call them wrinkles, laughter lines, crow's feet, whatever. The lines in their face are just moving in the moving in the supposed bruises and supposed marks. Now that there's that for a start, it didn't look like a legit bruise would how a legit bruise would react. I suppose as you're moving your face around. But secondly, they're bruised up quite bad. This is only 24 hours since this happened. There's zero swelling. Yeah, neither of them have any swelling on their face whatsoever which I don't quite get. I mean, I've been hit in the head, hit in the face and so on, and, and the swelling will come out. You can obviously put stuff on it to stop the swelling and, and do all that sort of stuff, but you're still going to have something there just shy of a day afterwards. So I'm not saying it was makeup, but I, I think there's a strong chance it could have been. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, mate, yeah. I may be completely wrong uh, and look like an ass when I'm saying this, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the horseman cut a promo in the ring with Mean Gene afterwards, and again, Danny, it just proves our point that they they are over, aren't they? The crowd are loving the horseman. Yeah, and the fact I love the fact that Mean Gene pointed out a fan that I was only holding up one finger and left it to your imagination which finger the fan was holding up. He said, "You're you're missing three fingers there, mate." Yeah. Um, that was pretty funny as well. <laughs> but yeah, Chris it- Benoit was very intense in this interview as well. Yeah, and again, Benoit is one of those that his weak side is obviously his promos. Yeah. But here, I've not seen a terrible promo from him yet. I don't know if it's because things are kept very short, because they have lots of other voices around him, or maybe even that. Maybe it is that there's lots of other voices around him so that he can kind of just drop into the mix. But those sort of bland, mundane um, quite poor promos that we would see from Benoit when he went into the WWF. I'm not seeing that same side here. Yeah, I'm. I'm seeing um, a heel Chris Benoit is much better on a microphone than a face Chris Benoit. Um, when I look at this, something like this, I see Arn Anderson is sort of like a mentor to Chris Benoit here. And years later, when Chris Benoit was the world champion, Arn Anderson was agenting most of his uh, world title matches. And I think that is such a cool ending to a little story there. But Chris Benoit as a face kind of promo is a lot different to Chris Benoit as a heel kind of promo. Mm. Um, yeah. It's more convincing here. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's the aggression side of things, or, or you said the intensity, and, and I think mm. you're onto something with that. Because I mean, my mindset goes back to when Benoit was in the WWF. Uh, 2004, Benoit winning the Rumble, going to Mania, and then having that series of matches with Shawn Michaels, Triple H, whether it was the triple threats or the one-on-ones, and then eventually dropping the title at SummerSlam to Randy Orton. Yeah, all brilliant matches. I, I really enjoyed, it. and I was I was fully invested in Benoit at that time. That he was he was my guy because he was the guy from WCW. He was the same same as Kurt Angle, obviously not with the WCW links, but I enjoyed the, the way the guys would work in ring, and that's my type of wrestling. Yeah, like with Malenko, we spoke about them on on a previous episode. But whenever he cut a promo, I was just there thinking, yeah, this this title reign might it, it ain't going as well as they hoped because there's no. There's no character to invest in other than he's a good wrestler, which for me is enough, but for the general public, probably not as not, not the same. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, mate. Uh, what follows the Horsemen and their excellence is something that I kind of hoped we were done with, but it looks like we're not. We have Big Bubba, and he is taking on John Tenter again. Uh, this is after John Tenter cut Big Bubba's beard at the pay-per-view which I don't think was that big a deal and when Bubba came out you couldn't really notice anything wrong could you Danny? No it just looked like nothing it just looked like he shaved it down a little bit all of it mm. yeah I mean again it's I mean I think this match was better than their pay-per-view effort the pay-per-view yeah. effort was poor this is still not great but it's better than the pay-per-view. I mean, we get a drop kick by John Tenter, which is bloody impressive because the guy's huge. Um, a couple of power slams, which look quite spectacular. One moment from Larry Zabisco on commentary I thought was ridiculous. When Bubba uh, did the whole big boss man-esque run, slide under the bottom rope just to punch his opponent in the face. Zabisco pipes up with, look at the speed of this guy. When I thought he looked like he was moving incredibly slowly. <laughs> I think that might have been a rib on him. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. But um, one thing I, I loved about this, uh, well, hated about this match, sorry, John Tenter needs music, Si. He really does. Yeah, I don't get it. I just, I, I, well, no, I, I suppose in a way I do, because sometimes you might get the odd wrestler who comes out without music, mm. and it stands out because they have no music. So I appreciate that 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 can work with yeah. certain wrestlers in certain scenarios, but it doesn't work here for John Tenter. No, it just doesn't work at all. It, it, I think you got to remember it's 1996. John Tenter, despite the fact he's not as old as he looks, he looks in his fifties. Yeah, he's he's always been a big fat fella. Let's be let's be. And I, I can say that because I'm a big fat fella myself. You know, but he he's always been um, a, a larger guy but not larger as in muscle bound. He's, he's overweight. Let's be honest. And yeah. he doesn't look good in the ring in 1996. He's got the big bold patch. He's also got half a haircut here, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> he's, he's got the big bold patch, the scraggly beard. He blows up very quickly. He's gasping for air and pouring with sweat incredibly quickly. His ring gear looks very dated. Everything about yeah. his presentation looks very dated. And having no music, I think, just adds to the fact it looks old. It looks dated. It looks, 
it doesn't make me want to see more of him in this particular guise. Some wrestlers with no music, it can work. But here, Danny, I think you're spot on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it just, it's like you're seeing all this craziness, all these fireworks, all this music, and then out comes John Tenter with nothing, like the energy kind of... And what makes it worse is probably the fact that it's not getting a big crowd reaction. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, you go you go back way, way, way back in the day before entrance music was a big thing. You know, you'd have Hogan come out on certain occasions. The crowd would go wild. So you didn't need the music. Uh, you go back even further, old footage of the likes of Bob Backlund or, or yeah. Bruno San Martino is, is a great example. Um, normally in Madison Square Garden, we have proper WWF stronghold with Backlund and San Martino and so on. Bruno would come to the ring and the building would shake. And you'd hear them all chanting, Bruno, Bruno, Bruno. And that would be his entrance music. And it was incredible. Here, there is no reaction for him at all, Danny. I think you're, I think you're really <laughs> on to something there. Yeah, it's, it's just a show. But um, hopefully things pick up for him. Yeah, hopefully so. Um, basically, after two power slams, John Tenter wins with his feet on the rope. And we then get... A, a, a sort of a lot of afters, don't we? Jimmy Hart's in the ring for a moment. Um, Bubba has a loaded sock, which basically is, is a sports sock full of coins, and he's beating the piss at John Tento with this. Yeah. And uh, the biggest takeaway from this for me was this isn't finished with is it? We're going to get more. Yeah, this was a shame, but I wanted to actually ask you something. What did you think about Tenter putting his feet on the ropes? Does it make sense? No, it doesn't, because he's the baby face. <laughs> it, it doesn't. He's a baby face. Um, there, when he, uh, there was one point when um, John Tenter just uh, walked to the ring. The referee just scratches. I mean, I'm annoyed with this referee. I don't know his name, but he just scratches his face when he when he knows not to look at someone doing an illegal thing. So when Tenter put his feet on the ropes, it was like the referee just knew where to be to not see the feet on the ropes. It just annoyed me. Yeah. I mean, he's he's using the power slam as his finish here. Um, I suppose because it was normally the move he would use to set up for that big earthquake splash he would do in the WWF in the early 90s. So he'd hit the big power slam, then he'd jump around the guy making the ring shake, like the big earthquake aftershock sort of thing. And then he'd run and sit on the guy. That was his finish. He's dropped the earthquake splash aspect here in WCW, and he's just hitting this huge power slam. And it looks amazing, because Tenta is huge. And on Big Bubba, who was also a massive guy, it looks amazing. He hits one power slam, covers him, gets a one count, stands back up to say, no, I'm not done yet. That got a little reaction from the crowd. That I can yeah. understand. He then hits another power slam. The guy's out. He was out for the first one. We could see that. So he then hit the second one. If he had just pinned him there, you could have then had the afters. You could have had him beating him up with this sock full of coins. Uh, and also, you know, he runs his mouth in a promo after the match with Mean Gene, doesn't he? Saying he's going to, you know, that he's not finished with Bubba and all this sort of stuff. Sorry, not finished with, with Tento and all this sort of stuff. So all of that, you'd have still had exactly the same effect. You'd have had Tento win the match. You'd have had Tento, his finisher looks strong because it, as regardless as, as critical as we've been of these two matches that we've seen from these guys or three matches or whatever it may well be, that power slam from a massive guy on another massive guy looks impressive. Yeah. 
you could have had all that. Tender could go over. It doesn't hurt Bubba because he took two finishes. But then Bubba looks like the cowardly shithouse heel using a weapon after the match and beating him up. And then they can move on to whatever they're doing next. You don't need the feet on the ropes. I've got no idea why they did that. Yeah, it just, just makes no sense. But um, the sock full of coins, oh, man, that, I don't know how you gimmick that to make sure that nobody gets hurt. But it did look painful, didn't he, when he was walloping him right in the head with it. Yeah, it's very old school. Like, it's very old school kind of weapon, isn't it? And yeah. um, I suppose you'd make the sock incredibly thick to try and pad it out, maybe. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's it's a very old school very aggressive weapon when you think about it isn't it yeah it's something i believe i've watched a lot of prison documentaries and i think it's something that may be originated in prison uh okay actually makes okay. sense because the big boss man yeah it kind oh, yeah of he makes was a prison sense. guard wasn't he yeah. <laughs> i know they used to put you know pool balls in in socks and so on but yeah Oh, yeah, God, there we yeah. go. Painful stuff. Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but obviously we're going to get more of Big Bubba and John Tenter. So yeah. there's something for us all to look forward to, Danny. There certainly is, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what follows, however, is, well, from in-ring standpoint, very good. Before that, I'm not sure. Because we sign off this, this section of the show with Gene talking to Bubba at ringside. We go to an ad break, we come back. And Gene is now talking to Randy Savage. Gene's all over this show again, isn't he? He's earning his money again here, isn't he, Danny? He is, mate. And I'm just wondering, uh, did they have no one else to do backstage interviews? <laughs> because well, he's the only one. Mean Gene was very, very well paid. Ah, oh, very yeah, well sense. paid. I'm makes not sure. Sense. I'm not sure what year it was. But at one point, he was on $2,200 a night. Now you bear in mind he's not wrestling. Uh he's not a manager. He's not out there calling the action, doing the commentary for a whole two hour show or whatever. Uh he's literally doing 30 second interviews. Uh, he he may do ten, he may do one, whatever. But I've seen a copy of contracts um from a certain time in WCW and he was on I I think it was two thousand two hundred dollars a night. That's insane. But yeah, he's definitely earning it. I mean, he's always dressed to the nines. He's always there. He's helping out his wrestlers. He's definitely worth it. Oh, yeah. It adds that kind of... Hmm, it adds, that, I suppose, realism or, or star quality, I suppose, is the term I'm looking for. Because Gene was synonymous with the WWF for so long. He, he left uh, Verengania and, and the AWA to join the WWF, like Hogan and so many others did as well. And he was the guy. If you saw Hulk Hogan being interviewed, it was Mean Gene. You know, now obviously Gene also interviewed all the heels and so on as well. Of course he did. But Hogan was the star from WrestleMania, well, from winning the world title in 84 through WrestleMania 1 all the way through to the, the early 90s. Hogan was the guy. Every time you saw Hogan cut a promo, I, I would say, not every time, but I would say 99% of the time, it was Mean Gene holding the microphone for him. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you've got this guy that, to wrestling fans all over the world, it's a very recognizable face. It's a very recognizable demeanor. And it's an incredibly recognizable voice as well. When they brought him in to WCW, it was done with the whole premise of, okay, 
we want this show to look the real deal, we're going to bring in Mean Gene because Mean Gene is the real deal. He gives off this aura of being of being professional, of being he's a world standard broadcaster. So all of a sudden, WCW, who were still this very much, you know, they, they were beyond being a territory, but they were a much smaller company with regards to the competition at the time. They had Hogan there. They had Flair there. And then they had Mean Gene holding the microphone. So in 93, 94, whenever it was he came in, it added that kind of, I suppose, extra glitz and glamour. It's little touches like that. I mean, they could have had Hogan in the ring and then somebody else holding the microphone. Probably still would have got the same effect. But Gene being there and interviewing other people, all of a sudden it made everyone seem more important. Yeah, it does, mate. And it has a great effect on it as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, what I didn't get here, though, with Savage, I mean, Savage is basically running his mouth about Flair, about the Horseman, about all sorts of stuff. But he turns to to Gene and tells Mean Gene, and then looks at the camera. So he's telling us at home as well about what's going to happen because he is going to wrestle Flair tonight. I didn't know this when I pressed play. He's had his suspension lifted, as we found out on at the Great American Bash. This is his his comeback show after his suspension. I thought Savage was going to come back, run his mouth about Flair, and then and then just beat some some second rate jobber in the ring or whatever, and they were going to carry on building the feud. But no, he's getting his hands on Flair tonight, which really surprised me, Danny. Yeah, that really did. I mean, I believe at the Grand American Bash they said he was in action, but they didn't say who. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but he turns and says, when it comes to Flair and what's going to happen next, don't blink. I'm going to really take my time. Oh. And I thought to myself, that doesn't make any sense does it <laughs> surely if you're telling someone don't blink it's because it's going to be over quickly yeah but he's telling someone to not blink he's going to really take his time with flair that <laughs> makes no sense to me whatsoever i think he'd been out of practice a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, what follows is that match however we have a match oh, wait. Hold, on. hold on sir did you see uh, what he was diagnosed with on his time away no no P- please say he was diagnosed with OCD, which in his uh, meaning, he, he means one cool dude. That's what OCD stands for. Is that what he said? Yes. Um, oh, I'm my just wondering where that, if I could get that on the NHS. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he's oh. one cool dude. How did I miss that? That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, my yeah, goodness. So we, we have to look for that in uh, the future now. So he's now the one cool dude, OCD. I've got a certain level of OCD, as my wife will uh, attest to, and she you know, has to tolerate certain little quirks of mine. And when it comes to podcasting and so on, I think it does assist me a little bit when I, with my OCD. But the other side of things, it can drive me mad. Perhaps I'm a cool dude. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I'll, to ask, I think I'll, so. ask, I'll ask the wife when I see her later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we have the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, taking on one cool dude, Randy Savage, uh, straight after the break here. We start with Savage's entrance first which I'm not normally a fan of. I like the heel to come out first where possible because I'm a bit of a traditionalist, but it works here because this is the second hour of Nitro. So Bobby Heenan is here to take over on commentary and Savage just runs after him and chases him all over the place. I thought this was fantastic. Oh, I loved it. I loved the bump that uh, uh, Bobby Heenan took over the ropes as well. Oh, (laughs) that was so good. Yeah, it just proved. I mean, Bob Heenan, he was far from being done, to be honest, as a manager. But uh, obviously, he chose to be a commentator, but he still was bumping all over the place. He, he was running quite fast as well. 
Oh, he's got a bit of pace to him when he's scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Flair comes out and he, he is, you know, flanked by the three ladies now, the, the, the three of them now, obviously. We have the standard two of Elizabeth and woman, but he's also accompanied now by Deborah McMichael because Mongo is a horseman. And Flair takes the microphone and he's mocking Savage over the fact that, you know, Liz is with him now, Elizabeth, sorry, is with him now, and the money factor again. This turns into a fight on the outside and... I think a lot goes on here, Danny, without actually a lot happening. I couldn't take, really take my eyes off it because it was uh, it was very fast. It was uh, chaotic. It, it was as it should be. Savage is finally getting his hands on Flair. He's chasing him all around the outside and so on. But at the same time, there's not masses for me to make notes on, I don't think. Yeah, I felt that way too. I struggled with... Um... When Macho Man and Ric Flair were near the VIP table and mm-hmm. Macho Man was putting Ric Flair's um, head in the food, I was like, how is this supposed to hurt him? Because it really didn't look like it was hurting Ric Flair. It was like he was just putting his head on the plate and it was like, okay, I, should, I don't know if I should write something about this. But then he poured um, champagne all over Ric Flair, which... It didn't again. Didn't really look any pain, really painful or anything. Oh mate, like I'll, 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 I'll stop you right there. <laughs> I, I did not know how painful champagne in your eyes was. Oh. Okay, I did not know this, but back in the the time of when I used to run a a football club, an amateur Sunday league football side, we for the last game I was in charge of after trying for the best part of ten years, we made it to a cup final. We won that cup final. And the lads had all bought you know, bottles of champagne and cigars and so on. And there is a video somewhere of us receiving the trophy and the captain goes up to collect it. And he, he, he very, um, very nicely really appreciated this. The captain of the club wanted me to go up with him to collect the trophy because he knows I've been trying for so many years to win this and so on. And when we collect the trophy and take it over to the boys to celebrate in this little stadium we were playing in, they spray champagne everywhere. A couple of the lads thought it'd be really funny to absolutely soak me. I'm there in my shirt and tie and trousers and so on because I'm, I'm, I'm the manager on the sideline. <laughs> and um, I got absolutely drenched. And I'll tell you what, mate, champagne in your eyes is one of the worst pains I have felt. It was oh. horrific. It, it was blinding. It hurt oh. so bad, you know, and it hurt for a long time as well. No matter how much I tried to wipe it and get a towel or whatever, it just stang and stang and stang. So that aspect, I can appreciate where Randy Savage is coming from. Maybe not so much when he's, you know, putting a bit of strawberry on his forehead <laughs> or or a kiwi fruit in his hair. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. You make a great point, man. That's why it's better that we're, there's two of us on this show that you have experience with champagne in the eyes. I mean, oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> I mean, if you can find that video, we should do a side by side of you and Ric Flair receiving the champagne in the eyes. <laughs> I don't sell it as much as Flair. I, I, gave oh. it, I gave it a wipe and turned away from the camera. I weren't selling that shit. <laughs> I was not giving those lads the satisfaction and knowing how much pain I was in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Champagne did flow a lot that evening. Um, during this crazy fight throughout the VIP and so on, we start getting the question from Tony Schiavone. And this is something that we're going to hear. And it's so, we're going to hear it a lot over the next couple of weeks. And it's so iconic with regards to WCW. We're going to, we start getting the question and the discussion of who's the third man. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, oh, it started here. I, mean, mm. I thought it was closer to the pay-per-view, but yeah, that, that is really cool as well that they um, started saying that here. 
Yeah, it's already building to, and again, I suppose we're used to it now with how WWE promotes their pay-per-views and their television. AEW is different, obviously, and, and the likes of New Japan and so on are different as well because they don't run as many pay-per-views or big events per year. But WWE, especially going back a little while, because I think they've dropped a couple here and there from the calendar now. But when you're looking at 12 to 14 pay-per-views a year, which is what they were running a, a few years ago under the one brand split, you would finish a pay-per-view. The very next night on Raw, you would be talking about the next pay-per-view. Yeah. And that's the way they've always rolled. That's the way they've, they've done this for a long time. So I suppose from that aspect, we're used to this because we see it all the time with modern day programming. However, in 96, and from what we've seen from WCW, and we, we started this, this watch back from September 95, what we've seen is that WCW have never operated that way. So it's interesting now that we've just, we've just finished the Great American Bash and literally the next night, they're talking about and promoting Bash at the Beach. They're giving you the date, where it is, contact your uh, pay-per-view operators. They're talking about matches that are going to happen there, who's the third man, and so on. We already know as well about the Road Wild or Hog Wild pay-per-view that is coming up the following month. That has been talked about for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, It's, it's a completely different mindset here in July of 96 to when we first started our watch back in September of 95, I think, Danny. Yeah, it totally is, mate. It's only taken a matter of months and they've seen, um, okay, we need like to start ramping up the pay-per-views. We need to start ramping up the storylines heading into those pay-per-views. Um, you can definitely see the change a lot. Mm, it is, yeah, very much so. Uh, eventually, we, we get Flair trying to use a foreign object, but he only gets a two-count. We then get a bit of a ref bump. Savage hits a low blow, hits a couple of elbow drops from the top rope. But then the horsemen come out. And I think this is done brilliantly. Yeah. Because, uh, sorry, Danny, carry on. No, no, I was going to say, the way Chris Benoit sold that pole driver, amazing. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's. I think it's done so well in that, eventually, we know the horsemen in this scenario, they're going to stand tall. They're going to be the ones who are in control of the situation, as they should do because of the numbers. And the fact that they're still, at this point in time, pre-NWO, the number one supposed heel faction, even though they're getting babyface reactions in some in some places. But they should, st- you know, that they should still be standing tall at the end of this segment. However, four of them are there, the four horsemen, plus the women as well. The women provide a distraction, Savage gets a few shots in on Benoit before hitting the pile driver. He turns round and brawls with Arn Anderson for a little bit before disposing of Arn. And then he's done by Mongo and the briefcase. Yeah. So Savage here still comes out of this scenario not looking like a weak link, not looking like um, a dumbass who's just been given a pasting. He comes out of this scenario here still looking strong. It was just the numbers game that beat him. Also, Look at who it was who was successful from the Horsemen. Flair took a beating. Arn came out, took a beating. Benoit took a beating. It's the new Horseman, Mongo McMichael, in his Horseman t-shirt with the briefcase they have gave him, hitting Savage and standing there and helping up his other Horseman members, his Horseman brothers, so to speak. I think that right there, that one moment, 
because it's Mongo who was successful in the attack as the others took a bit of a beating, solidifies Mongo as a horseman straight away. Yeah, big time, mate. I mean, it's put him over huge. And in the shot that he hit um, Macho Man with the second shot on the head, that absolutely looked brutal as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. And as it should, I mean, we've seen... We've seen some shots in wrestling. I, mean, I don't encourage or want to see anyone getting injured. I mean, the, the Mick Foley chair shots he used to take is ridiculous and all that sort of stuff. I don't want to see anyone getting hurt. But at the same time, there's an art form to wrestling in, in, in that you're not hurting your opponent, but you're making it look painful. Yeah. I get so annoyed when you see... I mean, Hulk Hogan's a big a big issue with this. He throws a chair shot and he barely touches the guy and the guy's got to sell it. It makes the guy look ridiculous. <laughs> to me, if you can't swing the, the foreign object, if you can't use the weapon, the briefcase, the chair, whatever, and make it look realistic safely, then just don't use it. Yeah. Just don't use it, you know, because nobody comes out of that looking the company, the production, the TV show, everything. Nobody comes out of this looking good if the if the chair shot or whatever doesn't look convincing. But here, I think it does look quite good. Yeah, it's very, very cool. And I'm loving the fact that um, now Mongo's a horseman. I can't wait to see some of his heel stuff. Mm, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Uh, we're with Mean Gene again next, and he is talking to the giant Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart. And we're told here that the Dungeon of Doom is the elite, not the Four Horsemen. The Dungeon of Doom is the elite group <laughs> because they have the world champion. Yeah, okay. They also have Big Bubba and Kevin Sullivan and so on. <laughs> don't they? But never mind. Uh, the, the, there's a long run through with these guys talking about the battle with Benoit that Sullivan had just had the whole horseman dungeon of doom dynamic. And even though the dungeon of doom is ridiculous and daft, I still find this quite interesting because they're talking about the rivalry between them. Uh, Mean Gene then mentions about Hall and Nash, who still have not been named officially on, on the show. They're talking about Hall and Nash and Kevin Sullivan then turns around and says, with regards to WCW and those, he doesn't care about the full horseman. WCW comes first. So all that work they've just put into that promo, <laughs> Sullivan then finishes it off by saying, I don't actually care about the full horseman, to be fair. It just <laughs> it just wrecks it, doesn't it? It does. It's very much like what you said um, about Mongo McMichael at the pay-per-view, and he just said, I don't care about plans, even though he'd spent weeks and weeks and weeks planning the match. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those instances. But yeah, Kevin Sullivan, um, the giant here, to me, even though he, the promos are getting better, I just can't go over that cartoon giant voice of his. Yeah, and the, and the hand rubbing. He rubs his yeah. hands together like an evil villain, doesn't he? Like, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's just, if you don't know what to do with your hands in a promo and you're the champion, take the belt off and hold it. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> You know, don't stand there wringing your wrists and wringing your hands. And, oh, it just looks daft. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, we have a Glacier promo, Danny. Yeah, this is the first promo we actually see um, a person as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the side of his face. So, yeah, he looks very, um, I don't want to say Teenage Mutant and Ninja Turtles, uh, Mortal Kombat, that's it. Yeah, it looks yes. very Mortal Kombat with the haircut. 
Oh, 100% a Mortal Kombat ripoff. 100%. Yeah. Bischoff's even admitted that. Ah. Uh, but we also get told July is when he's coming. Yeah. Um, I found it weird because uh, it said July on the first promo, and then later on we're going to get a second promo, and it said July 1996. Uh, okay, well, perhaps that's because they've ran so many promos already. I mean, I think we must be up to, what, six, seven, maybe eight weeks of promos now? Yeah. Perhaps they want to stipulate that he is arriving in 96, not July uh, 97. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. But I found that a bit weird. But yeah, it looks like they fixed their uh, problems later on. Mm, yeah, there we go. Um, we have a recap of the Great American Bash again, running through all the goings-on from there. And one of the things that was recapped was the fact that Dean Malenko um, cheated effectively to beat Rey Mysterio for the cruiserweight title. We have Gene Oakland again here on the entranceway this time with Rey Mysterio saying he's not happy that Malenko cheated. His music plays, he goes to the ring, and then Dean Malenko comes out. And I've just got a little note here saying Rey versus Malenko again. Oh, fuck yes. Because I didn't realize we were getting that. No, I had no idea. Um, this is brilliant. This th- this is what I love about Dolph W. This spontaneous, uh, straight after they put on a brilliant match at a pay-per-view, we're getting it the next night as well. And the fact that there's a storyline between these two now is really cool. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It, you can Again, it makes sense because Rey Mysterio got beaten last night Yeah, at, at the pay-per-view. But he's got a rematch the following night because the champion retained by cheating. It's so simple, but it makes sense. Yeah, it certainly does. Did you pick up as well on the commentators here talking about Paul Orndorff? Yes, did they say that he was the catalyst to the uh, NWR versus, I mean, um, Dungeon of Doom versus uh, Four Horsemen? There was some mention of that, wasn't there? And, And he was the first person involved uh, or when when these different wars were kicking off between the different yeah. groups and nobody's seen him since he was given the pile driver on the floor and and he's uh, and uh, Bobby Heena says I've tried to call him a few times but he's ripped his phone out of the wall. Oh so wow! I that's don't quite weird. know what, where that's heading or where that's going, but it was interesting hearing his name mentioned on television for the first time in well many many weeks. Yeah, definitely. But I think probably since last year. Mm, yeah, potentially. Um, the match itself here is is very, very good, as you would imagine. Uh, I don't think it quite hits the heights of their match from the previous night, but it's still really good, Danny, isn't it? It really is, mate. And it's a lot of this is focusing on Dean Belenko, um singling out Rey Mysterio's back and trying to just get him down to the ground and things like that. So um, I enjoyed this match as well, but you're right, it was a bit off from their match, but you can't expect them to pull off a match like that every single day. I mean, it was still very good, though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know, um, the match starts with, with Rey Mysterio just being 1996 Rey Mysterio. He's lightning quick. He's flying all over the place. Uh, he, he hits a beautiful-looking moonsault. Um, Malenko is just kind of chasing shadows for the first few minutes and then when he finally gets hold of ray he just wallops him with a clothesline and cuts him down to size (laughs) and i thought that was just brilliant storytelling from a wrestling standpoint because ray's all over the place malenko's struggling to get hold of him but he does get hold of him wallop there we go (laughs) but i also think um that Mark Tanay not being in this match kind of uh don't want to say hurt it but his presence was definitely missed 
Yeah, we said about this on the pay per view, didn't we? How he his presence on the pay per view match really helped. Yeah, to the point where we wanted him involved in the Conan match as well, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. That, but you're right; it's a shame. I wonder why he wasn't out for this one. Yeah, it made it was a bit. Maybe they're just saving him for the pay per views like Dusty Rhodes. Mm, potentially, potentially. Um, Dean Malenko hits a, a vicious-looking brainbuster. That was that looked shockingly bad. Um, an electric chair as well. You don't see many of those anymore, Danny. Do you? No, we had a discussion about that a couple of weeks ago, sir. But I've never seen it done from a top rope position. Mm. So that was um, bad. The one that really stood out for me, though, was the power bomb that Dean Malenko hit. He looked like he damn near just smashed Rey Mysterio through the ropes. Uh, sorry, through the canvas. It was so yeah. vicious. Oh, he has a very underrated power bomb, does Malenko. It's, oh, it's, it's, it was so vicious. There's no way that can't have hurt. <laughs> Definitely not, not. I mean, you wonder why Rey Mysterio's had all these injuries in his career. Because <laughs> <laughs> Dean Malenko kicked the shit out of him in 96. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Rey Mysterio basically ends up having quite a few near falls uh, before Dean Malenko wins with what looked like a scorpion death drop that Sting would go on to use in future years. It sort of came out of nowhere, to be honest. It wasn't, you know, there was no real setup for it. He just hit this this scorpion death drop which tony Schiavone referred to as a reverse bulldog which i find quite interesting i've never heard it called that before yeah he said reverse bulldog and i was thinking no it's a reverse ddt isn't it a scorpion yeah. death drop but was sting using a scorpion death drop at this time i think we've seen him use it but it isn't named yet oh yeah I have a feeling that Dean will be told to stop using it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, brother, that's my move. Um, <laughs> uh, again, I, I loved this. This was a great match. Really, really yeah. good stuff. Did, again, as I said, didn't quite hit the heights of the previous occasion, but I could watch these guys wrestle again and again and again. I think it's fascinating stuff. Definitely, but I'm, I'm glad that Rey Mysterio's first feud was against Dean Belinko in WCW. Mm, yes, yes, and we we got more cruiserweights coming in very very soon as well. This is going to be very exciting from an in ring standpoint, I think, Danny. Definitely, mate. Next up, then, is our main event, our our in ring main event. I guess we still have the announcement to come of who will be facing the outsiders at Bash at the Beach. That's being um, put forward as the the I suppose in the main event slot of the evening going on last, but the actual in ring main event is the giant defending his world title against a heavily strapped up Scott Steiner. Um, when this match starts, we're told about some house shows that WCW are running, and they're going to Hartford, Connecticut, the Civic Center there, and Madison Square Garden. Real strong, staunch WWF territory, Danny. Yeah, I was shocked when I heard that. I was like, wow, Madison Square Garden and a house show. This should have been televised, really. I hope it was. I hope somebody recorded it somewhere. Well, I'm saying house show. I don't know whether we will see any footage from it. I mean, certain house show matches get shown on Saturday night and so on, don't they? But yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Civic Centre is one for me as well because Hartford, Connecticut is, is right where Titan Towers would effectively used to be. And a lot of the guys from the WF lived there. And it actually hosted, as, as well as Madison Square Garden, the Hartford Civic Centre would host um, some WrestleManias as well and some SummerSlams. WrestleMania 11 was there, I think. At uh, one point, yeah, that, that's the one with Sean versus Diesel uh, for the yeah. title. Yeah, WrestleMania 11 was uh, from the Civic Center in Harvard there. So, yeah, I find that really interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, there obviously was done on on air here just to make a dig at WWF, <laughs> but um, I noticed that um, Tony Schiavone never uh, mentioned that Hulk Hogan would be a part of those house shows. <laughs> mm, well, this is it. This is it. I mean, they're talking about early July here, so I, I'm assuming they know they they've got Hulk back by that point. But mm. yeah, I don't, I don't. Uh, there's no mention of him, so which is a shame because if you put his name on a house show at Madison Square Garden or any of those WWF stronghold areas, you could boost the ticket sales definitely. Yeah, yeah, but you'd think he would have a draw there, wouldn't you? I mm. don't know if in '96 his stock had fallen that far that it wouldn't happen. I would have thought that. I would have thought that there would have been some uh, attention for him on that circuit. So yeah. Hmm. Uh, the match itself then Scott Steiner versus the Giant I just want to say straight off the bat here I think Steiner is fantastic in this match yeah he's I mean it's not much of a match um, because the Giants matches here have to be kept short but Scott Steiner played his role in this match perfectly Um, it was all about him selling the taped ribs and everything like that and then when he bust out the suplex the crowd exploded and it got the pop of the night it was just really brilliantly put together, I think. It, yeah. I, don't get me wrong. Never for a moment did I think that Scott Steiner was going to beat the Giant and take away the world title. I didn't think that for a second. Yeah. However, Steiner attempts quite a few suplexes, but can't get the job done. So that it, it already is, you know, showing how dominant the Giant can be. The the ribs are getting worked over by the Giant, the taped up injured part, body part of Scott Steiner. Um, this is probably the most I've seen Scott Steiner sell as well, to be honest, in, in our watchback so far. Obviously, he's involved in tag matches the majority of the time. But here, he spends the majority of this match selling uh, and taking a beating from the Giants. And he looks good doing it. Yeah, he really does. I mean, the moment that stood out to me was um, when Scott Steiner just uh, broke a wooden chair on the Giants' torso. <laughs> that yeah. did not look fun. Yeah, I mean, it's the giant is the one who brings the chair in initially, isn't he? One of these funny yeah. little wooden chairs that they, they have in WCW. Um, and as he's trying to climb back into the ring, Scott Steiner uses the top rope to kind of crotch the giant uh, and then hits a chop block, which again, makes a lot of sense. He's, he's, he's trying to bring the bigger guy down to size. He, he applies a sleeper for a while as well, which again, makes sense. Try and get the big guy to pass out. Yeah. Before he hits that exploder suplex you mentioned earlier, Danny, and the crowd go crazy. And again, I'm thinking, man, I wish they would have just pulled the trigger on him as a single star here yeah. in 96. Oh, mate, do you know what it reminded me of? Um, seeing G- the giant get chucked around like that, even though it was just once, it reminded me of Brock Lesnar doing it to the big show years later. When, oh, uh, yeah. Brock would just chuck him every part in every part of the ring, and it was so impressive. The crowd just popped every time. That's what it reminded me of. And Scott Steiner looked brilliant here when he did that. So again, I still think Steiner in the early to mid nineties as a babyface singles wrestler, there was money to be had there. Yeah, and it for some reason, whether it was Scott's own choice or you know bad booking, whatever it was, it never quite took off at this point, and I think that was a wasted opportunity. But anyway, uh, the the giant gets hit with the chair, as you said, Danny, completely no sells it, um, hits his big choke slam and wins the match. And again, I think it ticked all the boxes it needed to. The giant still looks dominant and strong and massive and and impressive. Steiner comes away with. A lot of momentum 
uh, and still looking strong himself. But the title doesn't change hands. I think it, I think it did everything it needed to do. Yeah, definitely, mate. And I love the fact that for the last four weeks, the Giant has faced muscle-bound guys like Ice Train, uh, Scott Norton, Lex Luger, and now Scott Steiner. And those four are just muscle-bound, and the Giant has beaten them all with basically the same move. So he's very, very booked strongly here. Yeah, and it's the way that a guy like the Giant should be booked. You know, Definitely. Don't, don't sell too much. Go in, smash through people, leave. That's that's all he needs to do. And that's what they've done for the last four weeks, and it's been brilliant. Yeah. Um, we then get the second vid promoting Glacier, Danny, which I know you'd have been very excited about. Yes, definitely, mate. especially <laughs> when they put the year on it. I was like, oh, wow, so it is this year. So that's yeah. cool. Uh, and then we have Mean Gene giving us the announcement we've all been waiting for. We have six names that have been put into a hat and the, the top six win-loss records in WCW, apparently. And those six are Sting, Hogan, Savage, Ric Flair, Lex Luger, and The Giant. The The draw is done to take on The Outsiders, which is Gene calling them that. This is the first time they've been named, Danny, isn't it? Yeah, first ever time we've heard The Outsiders term. I'm not sure if maybe if uh, me and Gene came up with that on the fly and then they just went with it because they had no name before then. Mm. Yeah, again, that's, that's something I think we can cover the more of the behind the scenes goings on when we do our NWO special in a week or two. But it yeah. did come across like Gene was just making, that was just a throwaway comment of his. Yeah. But the fact that he said it a couple of times, maybe it was planted for him. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find yeah. out. Uh, the draw, however, in these high-profile meetings that Gene has just left. I, mean, I want to ask you, Danny, how has he had the time to go to any bloody meetings? He's been interviewing <laughs> everyone all night. <laughs> exactly. But, and I'm just wondering who it would he would be meeting with because Eric Bischoff's in the hospital and uh, the other authority figures have not been seen in weeks. So, yeah, I'm just wondering who. But, um, yeah, just... Uh, this whole segment to me it felt rushed but at the same time it's like okay i want to see more of this so you want to see that you have to wait till next week so you you tune in next week but mm. um who are the three that he chose sir? well first of all i think you're spot on when you say it felt rushed this is literally there's like 90 seconds left yeah. of the show so gene's obviously rushing through this because they're running out of tv time so i, I think I think there's a timing issue here and they've not allowed enough time at the end of the show to dive into this properly. But we're told that the three uh, wrestlers who will be representing WCW against the Outsiders and their mystery guy, uh, Bash at the Beach 1996, will be Lex Luger, Randy Savage and Sting. Quite a, quite a strong team, Danny. That is, but I'm just wondering why they wouldn't pick Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Oh, it was a random draw, mate. It was a random draw. Oh, yes. Draw. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. True, true. Yeah. But it's a big, <laughs> about, it's a big... about as random as the fucking Battle Bowl, I expect. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a big, um, yes, big moment in WCW. Is the free... I did, I've never seen this before, like where the three uh, baby faces were picked. Um, mm. This was really cool. It was. It was good. It was good. And I think they've done a really good job throughout this whole episode of touching back on what happened at the great American bash and building up the excitement for the bash at the beach. I think this is 
really well put together episode of Nitro. We're, I mean, in ring, it's a bit up and down. I mean, there's some great wrestling on the show. There's some good wrestling on the show. And then there's John Tenter and Big Bubba. <laughs> but um, <laughs> in ring, it's a bit up and down. But I think the story arcs running through this episode of Nitro, I think they've done a really good job of sort of progressing from one pay-per-view into already talking about the next and the big main event they're going to have, Danny. Yeah, big time, mate. And the biggest thing, biggest takeaway for me for this was um, you didn't see Scott Hall or Kevin Nash throughout the entire episode. So they weren't overexposed. Exactly. Exactly. Because you're sat there thinking, are they going to turn up? Are they not? If they turn yeah. up every week, I mean, eventually, we, we eventually anyone who knows anything about the NWO and so on, we know that things get bloated very quickly and overkill very quickly. But at this early stage, there's little touches that they do at the NWO. If they turned up every single week, it would ruin it. They'd be overexposed, yeah. as you said, Danny. But then also, it would be it would take away that kind of invasion, um, spontaneity, the surprise, and so on. If they were there every week, because you're expecting it. Uh, also, coming through the crowd and so on, rather than through the entranceway, is a big touch they have as well. Um, I just think that the fact that they've attacked Bischoff the previous night, they wouldn't get in the building. Mm. But yeah, that's my own mindset thinking that they've not told us that. And again, I think that is a really clever touch because if they'd have told us, oh yeah, they're banned from the building tonight, that that doesn't fit in with the the ethos of what they're selling. That doesn't fit in with the whole story because they're banned from the building every night. Yeah. If they point it out and they still arrive, it just doesn't fit with what they're trying to do. So again, real subtle little touches, but it still makes it really feel, uh, I suppose it has that reality twist to it, doesn't it? It really does, mate. And it's just a sad thing that when you say you're banned from the building on a wrestling show, uh, especially in the 90s and 2000s, that got overexposed. That means that a wrestler was going to show up, buy a ticket or sneak in the building, be a cameraman. I could rattle off a load of them. <laughs> um, it just, yeah. like So in 2022, well, now 2023, uh, when someone's banned from, a wrestler's banned from a building, it means nothing. Absolutely. Mm. But, here, it would have meant something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so then, that concludes this episode of Nitro. Um, Danny, we need to give our plus points and our negatives, our woos and our oh brothers, my friend. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. First or second? I'll go first this week, mate. You carry on. So, um, with the woo, I mean, this, this woo... It would have to be storyline advancement because um, not just with the um, NWO storyline, but even with John Tenter and Big Brother, there was something that was there, even though we're not looking forward to it. <laughs> um, also, the Giants push and things like that, he's still looking very strong. And that would be my woo, mate. What's yours? Uh, my woo this week is Scott Steiner in the main event. I've been chirping on about this. Uh, the potential for him to be a singles star. We know it doesn't happen at this point in his career, uh, but I've been chirping on about him, the potential he has to be a singles star in as, as a baby face here and maybe a touch before this. So seeing him in the main event, challenging a big nasty heel for the title and it really working, just made me smile. Yeah. What about your old brother, my friend? It's, it was very hard to find one, but it has to be John Tenter putting his feet on the ropes. Um, it just was unneeded, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't great. It's just not not necessary. It doesn't add anything to the finish. I don't think it's. It just mm. seems. It's just pretty bloody pointless, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mine is actually right at the end of the show. Right at the end of the show. Oh. When the announcement is made, we cut to the commentary team of Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone. And they're trying to sum up the episode before they go off air, which is the way that what they always do on Nitro, to be fair. But this is a bit rushed, a bit panicky because they're running out of time on the network. The countdown for the next episode is already popping up in the corner. And right at the end, there's just a comment or a couple of lines from Bobby Heenan. And he references the Outsiders invasion and likens it to the Gulf War. And I was a bit like, yeah, that. That was not necessary at all. So that's my that's my O'Brien for the week, my friend. <laughs> I totally understand that. I, mean, I thought you was gonna go with um, Tony Schiavone there. Did, I don't know if you caught his mishap at the end there, did you? Uh, no, go on. Oh, when he was talking about um, the six-man tag team match, he mistakenly he said it was going to happen at the Great American Bash in July <laughs> rather than Bash at the Beach. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> That's where I thought you was going to go with that. <laughs> no, there's too many bashes, Danny. That's the problem. That's the problem, yeah, because <laughs> he, he's told to promote the encore presentation and the upcoming pay-per-views. Well, no wonder he got confused. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, hit, miss or middling, bud? Big hit this week, side definitely. Um, as you said, there was a the, the ring stuff was kind of up and down, but the storylines carried it through for me. Yeah, how about you, mate? Yeah, hit as well, hit as well. I, I think they're on a roll now. WCW. I think the the in ring stuff on the whole is good. I think that they've got, as we said at the top of the show, I suppose, Daddy, that the the tag division is looking sharp. The cruiserweights are, are looking great. You've got the whole Outsiders storyline. I think they're really on a roll now. We've had some yeah. great shows, some great stories, some great matches. And, uh, well, hopefully this will continue at this high standard for, for a long time. But we will see, my friend. We will see. Definitely, mate. Uh, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all the shows you're involved in, my, my bad? Yep, um, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggler. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week with the great Cy Powell on that Lights. Thank you very much. Uh, you can follow everything I'm involved in on the network that carries this show. That's at SJP World Media. And we're we're firing all back up now. We're, we're all getting up and running again after Christmas. And there being lots of illnesses banging around me, the family, and other hosts on the network as well. So hopefully everything will be back up and running fully for you very, very soon. Loads of shows covering all sorts. Modern day wrestling, uh, nostalgia-based stuff, chain wrestling live on a Monday, TV programs covered as well. We have uh, Farty Towels pod covering Faulty Towers now that Danny was brilliantly guesting upon for the first two weeks. We have uh, something looking at Murder in Mind with our good friend Morty, the Doctor Who pod with Dan Griffin. Uh, so many great shows, so many great options, and more coming all the time. So at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter for that. And chuck it a follow, a subscribe, and all that good stuff on all your podcast players as well. Uh, but most importantly, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. It's at Nitro underscore Nights. Danny, I'm looking forward to speaking to you again about Nitro next week. Me too, mate. And to everyone else, as always, 
Pode envelhecer leve.